Thank you for joining us today with Cindy Sherwood's podcast, Words for the Journey. Do we appreciate Jesus? I want to share a story, one that reflects some common realities I see today. This teaching is found in Luke 17 and is part of my Bible study, Resting in Jesus. Starting in verse 11, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Leprosy isn't something we deal with today, although it still exists in some parts of the world. Back in the time of Jesus, contracting leprosy meant your life as you knew it was over. Today there are treatments, but back then there was no known cure. It is a highly contagious skin disease that would cause nerve damage, preventing a person from feeling sensations through their skin, making it easy to hurt themselves without knowing it. Eventually, it causes grotesque disfigurement. The way society handled it was to ostracize anyone with leprosy. They would force them to go to colonies where those with the disease would live together. Once you had leprosy, you were banished from society. You couldn't work or worship at the synagogue. You couldn't ever live at home again or be with your family. And you couldn't come near other people. It was a horrible disease with devastating consequences. So back to our story, on the day Jesus was coming to town, there were ten lepers who heard the news. They had heard the stories about Jesus doing miracles, healing people, and if anyone needed a miracle, it was these ten guys. So they headed for the village where Jesus would be arriving. They knew they couldn't get near Jesus or the people in the village, so they got as close as they could which was a ways away, and started yelling to get his attention. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Let's keep going. Verse 14. So when they saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Incredible. No one thought that would ever happen. That leprosy could be healed. But Jesus did just that. He healed them. Hot dog. Now they could go home. They could go back to their families and live a normal life like everyone else. They could go back to work. They could worship God. All they had to do was get clearance from the priest, which the law required, and they were free to come back home. And then what? What did the men do after they saw the priest? Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Oh man, are you kidding me? One came back to tell Jesus thank you. Where were the other nine? 
Apparently, they went on their way without returning to express their thanks. Apparently, they didn't appreciate Jesus. I'm sure they appreciated the healing, the miracle. They got what they wanted. They were free. However, they felt no need to come back to Jesus. Verse 17. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus was hurt, disappointed. He had hoped for more for the other nine. He wanted to be part of their lives. One of the ten did come back, however. And the interesting thing was that he wasn't even one of them. He wasn't an Israelite. He was a Samaritan, a mixed race, hated by the Jews. And the one guy didn't just say, hey, thank you. He shouted out his praises to God. He fell at his feet and worshipped Jesus. He acknowledged what Jesus had done, acknowledged Jesus was the source of his hope and healing. The Samaritan worshipped Jesus. It's a good thing he did come back because Jesus had more for him. Let's finish our story, verse 19. And he said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The man who came back to thank Jesus received even more healing the second time. He received spiritual healing. His relationship with Jesus was restored. Your faith has made you well. His life had been reconciled to God. The one who returned didn't just receive a change in his health. He received a change in his soul, in his eternal future. I see this dynamic over and over. Plenty of people have an encounter with God. Plenty of people accept Jesus as their Savior. Plenty of people receive healing in our Healing Journey classes. And then what? They surrender their lives to Him and live for His glory instead of their own? Not really. A few do. They are the ones who get the real blessing, the joy of living the life they were created to live. And the rest, like the nine who didn't return, they are comfortable. The problem was fixed. Life is better. I'm good, Jesus. Thanks for what you did, but I got this. I don't need your help anymore. If I do, I'll call you. And Jesus said, were there not ten cleansed? Hosea 13.6 NIV says, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. Have we forgotten what Jesus has done for us? Our comfort often leads us to selfish pursuits rather than to God. And then we wonder why God often allows adversity in our life. Because he can't seem to get our attention any other way. Jesus gave his life for us. He asked for our worship in return. It isn't something that happens automatically as we saw with the nine lepers. It is something we have to choose. I've said it so many times, but our life reveals our beliefs. How we live our life demonstrates what we believe to be true about ourselves and about God. What did the nine lepers believe? 
I was lucky to see Jesus and receive his healing, but Jesus doesn't mean anything to me. He isn't relevant to my life. I'm qualified to lead my life myself. I don't need him. What did the Samaritan believe? God loves me so much that he took my pain and suffering and restored my body. He is a God who can and will meet my needs. He is one who cares about my life. I don't want to live another day without him. What beliefs are evident to those who know you? Does your life say, I don't need Jesus' help in order to live my life every day? Or does it say, I can't live without him? One belief leads to pride, the other to worship. Scripture commands us to worship God and forbids us from worshiping anything else. What do you worship? Everyone worships something. Whatever we worship gets our time, money, energy, and focus. Is it your career or business, money, wealth, material possessions, family, sports, beauty, fitness, travel? What gets the top spot in your life? Revelation 19.10 says, Worship God. Is God the focus of your time and energy? Or just an afterthought? 2 Kings 17, 38-39 in the NIV says, Do not forget the covenant I have made with you, and do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. It is he who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. So worship is not an optional part of our relationship with God. He clearly tells us to worship him and nothing else. Worship is our expressions of love and appreciation of God. It is intended to come from a grateful heart. It is to be an integral part of our life with him, embedded in the fabric of our life and relationship with him. If you sense it, maybe you've become part of the same club with the nine healed lepers. Examine your thoughts and beliefs and try to find the root cause. Don't accept this or be complacent about it. Worship is the thing that aligns us with God, that opens up the pipeline to receive his love and grace and truth. It is when we are worshiping that we are encouraged and strengthened. Our hope is renewed. Light shines in our dark places when we worship God. Worship is at the core of our relationship. When you pray, you really don't need to ask for anything. It's fine to ask. It's not wrong to ask. James 4, 2 says, Yet you do not have because you do not ask. But you do not need to ask. All you need is to be in God's presence, worshiping him. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows the concerns of your heart. He knows everything you need. In fact, he knows more about those things than we do. When we are worshiping God, we are surrendering ourselves to him. We are acknowledging that he is our source of help and hope. We are putting ourselves under his love and authority. But it's even more than that. God delights in us. He wants to be close to us, to be in a relationship. When we worship him, we are indulging in that relationship. Job 36.16 NIB says, 
He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction to the comfort of your table laden with choice food. Can you hear the love in God's voice? He's wooing you. He's courting you, seeking your affections, desiring your company. He wants to bring you into a place that is free from restriction. In other words, he wants to relieve your burden, put an end to your bondage. He wants to lessen your stress. And finally, as a table of choice food for you, he has good things to give you. Nourishment, blessing, strength, joy, peace, guidance, insight, a thousand things. It's all good. It's a win in every direction. God is blessed because he wants your company, your life, your worship, your heart. And we are blessed because he cares for us and gives us everything we need. Worship fulfills the purpose of our life, which is to glorify God. No worship, then no fulfillment of our purpose. Listen to what Paul has to say about this in Philippians 3, 7-10 NIV. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. He's saying that anything he has gained in this world is like garbage to him, worthless, of no value. He's saying that everything he has lost doesn't make any difference to him. Nothing else has measured up to what he's gained in Jesus. He is saying, I just want to have Christ. I just want to know him. Paul is worshiping Jesus with his life, with his whole being. His worship is not something separate. It isn't an hour on Sunday morning. It's every day, all day, everything he does. You can't live in the promised land if worship isn't at the center of your life. I want to close with a prayer of worship. As I share this, I want you to notice that I am not asking for one single thing. Lord, I have trouble in every direction, but you are my protector. You are my strong defender, my shield. I lay it all at your feet because you are the hope of the world. You are almighty God. Lord, my needs right now are great. Many things are lacking, but you are my provider. You alone own the cattle on a thousand hills. You are the creator of the universe and everything belongs to you. You are the sovereign God. You are my loving father. And I know your children are never found begging for bread. I trust you entirely because you are faithful and true. Lord, I don't know which way I should turn. I can't make anything happen in my power. I'm in the dark. But you're the light of the world. You have a plan and your plan is good because you are good and kind and loving. I praise you, Lord, for your power and your love that will always come to our aid. I have nothing to worry about, no concern, because you are my God. 
I praise you because you alone are worthy of my worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Open up your heart and your life and let Jesus be part of it in every way. He wants to be with you. All scriptures from the New King James Version unless otherwise stated. Thank you for listening to Cindy Sherwood's podcast. Visit us on the web at hishealinglight.org to learn more about our ministry. Please consider rating us on iTunes or your other favorite music app. God's best to you today.